0: Well, welcome to Sojourn. Uh, My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here and just good to gather with you uh, this Sunday. Happy Thanksgiving to you. It's exciting that we get to uh, celebrate Thanksgiving this past week and then now begin to uh, celebrate Christmas. Amen. I love the reminder of what we read this morning in our call to worship from Psalm 92. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. And it's good to give thanks to the Lord. There's so much for us to be thankful for, even if it's been a rough week or a rough year or a rough life. That there's still things to give God thanks for because our God is good and our God is faithful He's faithful to his plans. He's faithful to his people. And so no matter where you're at, I hope that you can look to our good God and give thanks to him. This is part of the reason I'm excited to begin this Advent series, uh, Light in the Darkness. And and as Alan said, we're going to spend some time going through about one and a half chapters in the Gospel of Luke to see this story unfold. In the book of Luke, it begins to tell this story. And so we're going to start today and we're going to walk through this all the way up into uh, Christmas Eve. uh, And even right after that, just talking about what it means to anticipate Christ coming. And so if you need a Bible this morning, if you just raise your hand, uh, somebody will bring a Bible around to you. We'd love for you to be able to read along with us out of Luke this morning. As Alan said, Advent is a time of anticipation, and what we see in these chapters in Luke is an unfolding story of anticipation. It begins with anticipation, and all throughout it we see this anticipation, this eagerness, this excitement, specifically for the Savior King to come. What unfolds in Luke chapters 1 and 2 is also an exhilarating story. It's an exhilarating story that happened in the past, but has implications for you and for me now and for the future. So I'm hopeful for what God uh, can and will do during this Advent season. I don't want us to think that this is just something, again, as Alan said, just as tradition, something we just go through out of kind of rote ritualistic religiosity. This is not what this is about and so if that's been your perception of the Christmas season, if that's been your perception of Advent, whether you grew up in the church or you didn't grow up in the church, I hope that our time over these next few weeks in this particular series will change that for you. That I believe that God can use this in your heart, whether you know and follow Jesus, whether you think that you know and follow Jesus, or whether you know that you know, do not know and follow Jesus. I believe that my God, through his word, will do a work in your heart through this time. And so I would just ask you to be prayerful. I'd ask you to pray that God would do a work in your heart and in your life, no matter where you're at spiritually right now. Ask God to use this time in this season as we open up his word, that you would ask God to use that in your life throughout these next few weeks for his glory and for your good. So let's pray as we begin our time in Luke this morning uh, and as we walk through it over these next few weeks. Let's just pray and ask God to do that work. Father, we're grateful to be able to gather together this morning to begin the the season of celebrating the anticipation of the arrival of Christ. And Lord, we, we have a unique perspective here in 2014 as we look back and try to imagine the anticipation that your people would have for the Messiah to come. But we also look forward to the future in anticipation for his return. And so I pray that this season of Advent would be unique to us not because anything we're saying is new or excitingly different than what we've maybe have heard before, but I pray to be unique to us that you would do a work in our hearts and our lives through this time that in the midst of the hustle and bustle of this season, and as much as the world would seek to distract us from what is most important, I pray that you would align our hearts and our minds on what really and truly matters that our King has come and he will come again. And so I pray that no matter where anyone is at this morning, whether walking closely with you or far, far away from you right now. I pray that you would do a work that only you can do through the power of your spirit as your word is preached and as we continue to worship together today. So we give this time to you. We pray that you'd be honored by it. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, you can go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter one. We're gonna be in Luke chapter one, verses five through 25 this morning. And I'm not going to read that again because Jill did such a great job reading for us. So thank you, Jill, for reading uh, out of Luke for us this morning. We're going to be in these verses and walk through and see what's going on here. It's been roughly 400 years, 400 years since a word has come from the Lord to his people. There have been no more prophets and no one coming to speak as a representative for God to God's people. Essentially, the last word of God came in the book of Malachi, which in our Bibles closes out the Old Testament. 400 years and nothing but silence. It was a dark time for God's people. It was a dark time wondering and, and, and questioning what's really going on. It was a dark time, but for some it was still a hopeful time. And so, it's with that backdrop that we have to jump into this story. We need to understand contextually what's going on here historically for this really to make any sense to us, for this really to hit us where it needs to hit us this morning. Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, has said that his purpose in writing the whole Gospel of Luke, writing this account, is so that we may have certainty, that we may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. So, maybe you know this story already. But Luke's writing this to you so that you may have certainty to know these things to be true. So with that, he begins. But he begins not talking about Jesus. He begins by talking about two other people. Zechariah is a priest. Not any special priest in particular. He's a priest amongst thousands and thousands of priests. And he's married to a woman named Elizabeth, who is a daughter of a priest. They're said to be righteous before God, blameless In all the commandments of the Lord. Now this doesn't mean that they're sinless. It doesn't mean that they don't uh, disobey God at times. That they don't need a savior. What it means is is that both Zechariah and Elizabeth desire to walk in obedience and faithfulness to God in all of his commands. In every aspect of life. Even in the midst of this seeming silence from God. We learn something key that at first just seems like a random fact. Luke writes that Elizabeth is barren. She has no child, is unable to conceive, and that she's advanced in years, that they're both old and advanced in years. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth's faith then is even more apparent to us when we realize that she's barren, that they're still seeking to be faithful. They're still seeking to follow God, even though they can't have a child of their own biologically. They still are trusting God in the midst of that. But see, they're not barren because of sin. They are barren because of the secret will and plans of God. And we will see, as we have seen over and over and over again, that God will use barrenness in his plan of redemption. In verses 8 through 10, we find out that Zechariah is serving at the temple. It's his division's turn to do so. There was a bunch of different divisions of priests that would serve on a rotation at the temple. And so it's, it's Zechariah's division's turn to do that. Now the priests had various responsibilities, various things that they would do as they served at the temple during their time of the year to do that. And one of the most exciting, one of the most important things that a priest could do, that he could be chosen to do, is to actually go into the temple, into the holy place, and burn incense before the Lord. And at this point in time, Zechariah is chosen to go into the temple to offer this incense before the Lord incense represented the prayers of god's people that as the priest put incense on the altar of incense on the fire that that smoke that aroma would rise and it was a symbol of the prayers of god's people rising up to him in the holy place where god's presence dwelt with his people now in this scene we see that the people are outside praying But we see Zechariah has gone into the temple and he would also be praying as he offered incense, representing the people to God and God to the people as the priest. Now we have to see in this that there's still some level of hopefulness. That God has essentially been silent for some 400 years, but the people are still praying. They're still going through these things that God has told them to do to come into the temple and offer these prayers and offer this incense. There's still some level of hopefulness. But even though God has been silent, that's all about to change. God has heard Zechariah's prayer, and God is about to let him know that. Zechariah goes into the temple, into the holy place. This is the biggest moment of his career. He would do it one time and only one time. That's it. There's no second chance of this. This is the biggest moment of his career as a priest. And as he walks into this temple, it's a magnificent place. A candle lit building. On his left would be the golden lampstand. And on his right would be the table with the bread of presence. Both of these things symbolizing to the priests and to the people that God is a God of light and God is a provider. And right before Zechariah would be this enormous curtain, this veil that would separate the most holy place from the holy place. With two giant cherubim angels embroidered on this. Just symbolizing the fact that they need something to be in relationship with God. There is some division between sinful man and holy God. And so Zechariah walks into this place. Seeing all these things around him. And the altar of incense set right in the middle. Right before the veil. I can imagine that Zechariah would have a lot of adrenaline going on here. Man, don't screw this up. Don't screw this up. Uh, This is the only time I get to do this. There's excitement and reverent fear at the same time. Zechariah's read the stories. He knows that God takes approaching him seriously. Nadab and Abihu, as we looked at in Leviticus, were killed because they came to the altar of incense with unauthorized fire. So there's reverent fear as Zechariah comes before here, comes before God in this place. But then it gets a little crazy. Look at verses 11 and 12 in Luke 1. And there, as he goes in before this, as he's getting ready, as he's offering this incense on the altar, it says this, verse 11, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Zechariah is praying, offering incense, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an angel is standing there right beside the altar of incense on the right side of it. And Zechariah freaks out, which is understandable. I mean, he's already probably amped up a little bit as he goes in here. And all of a sudden, as he's doing this, this man, this glowing man appears next to the altar. That would freak you out a little bit. Make your heart skip a few beats. And then the angel speaks. He speaks. After 400 years, roughly 400 years of silence, that silence is broken with some amazing words. Look at verses 13 through 15. For many, many years. Many, many times for a son. Zechariah has prayed for many, many years. Many, many times for a redeemer to come. For redemption to come for his people. As he is a priest representing the people to God. He's prayed for both of these things many, many times. Maybe even in this moment. As he stands before the Lord offering incense on this altar. He's praying these things once again. And the angel comes to tell him your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Zechariah. Your barren wife, your old wife is going to have a son and his name will be John. But this is not just any son. He is special. Says you will have joy and gladness because of him, but that will go beyond you. The people, the people of Israel will rejoice at his birth. Why? Because he will be great before the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even in the womb. But see, this is not just a birth announcement. John is going to be used by God in a special way. Listen again to verses 16 through 17. (laughs) And he will turn. This is what John's going to do, Zechariah's son. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. See, what the angel says to Zechariah here would have floored him. It would have floored him because it was pregnant with meaning. It was pregnant with meaning. The angel says that John will be used by God to do four things. The first thing he'll be used by God for is he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. In this time of silence and oppression by foreign rulers, many have struggled They've struggled in knowing God and following him. Then some of them maybe have even fallen away from him. But John, Zechariah's son, will be used by God to renew desire amongst God's people, to know him and to follow him. He will bring about a spirit of repentance to the people. The second thing that he'll be used by God for is that John will be used by God to go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is a huge statement. The angel is saying to Zechariah, he's going to be like a prophet. Elijah was a prophet who spoke the words of God to God's people. And here we're seeing that, that in the same way that John is going to be like a prophet. What he's saying is God's about to do something huge, and we'll see why in a moment. The third thing that John is going to be used to do is that he'll be used to turn the hearts of fathers to children and the disobedient to wisdom See, people's hearts and minds will be changed through the preaching and teaching of John. And the fourth thing is that he will prepare a people for the Lord. John will be used to prepare a people for the work that the Lord is going to do. See, John is going to be used to prime the pump for the radical thing that God is going to do in the world. Now, these statements in and of of themselves would be monumental statements to any parent. If an angel came to you and said, This is what's going to be true of your child, first off, you'd be floored at the fact that the an angel's talking to you, right? But then when he says, This is what your child is going to be used to do, you would be absolutely floored. But this is even more significant for Zechariah because Zechariah is a priest, and Zechariah knows God's word, and he knows exactly what this angel is alluding to. Flip with me back to the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. It's right before the gospel of Matthew in your Bible. So you can flip back there to the book of Malachi. Not a book that maybe many of us look at very often. It's a short book, but it has some amazing truth in it. It's a book about God's people, a book to God's people who are straying at this point from him through dead religiosity and compromise. And so I just want to read a few passages out of the book of Malachi and then hopefully tie some of these pieces together for us. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. He says a messenger is coming, and what will this messenger do? He will prepare the way before the Lord. Isaiah 40 says something very similar. It says there's a voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. Look at Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers evil will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Verse two, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Judgment will come for those who do evil, but there is hope. This son of righteousness will peek over the horizon and as it rises, it will bring healing for those who truly fear the name of the Lord. And those who truly fear the name of the Lord will be set free like calves leaping from their stalls. No longer enslaved, no longer bound, no longer captive when the sun rises. Then lastly, look at the last two verses of the book of Malachi. Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 4 says this. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children And the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with decree of utter destruction. This is almost exactly what the angel says to Zechariah. Malachi, the last words of the Lord to his people, and then 400 years of silence, the last words and the first words that come again are saying, the time has come. This is going to be fulfilled. And Zechariah, your son, John, will be the one who's a part of bringing this fulfillment See, Zechariah knew exactly what the angel was saying. Not only was the silence over, over, but the Savior is coming. The Savior is coming. This brings us to the first of three things that we see in this story. The first of three things. The first thing here is the hope of broken silence, the hope of broken silence. In what seemed like a long, dark night for the people of Israel and Zechariah and Elizabeth, there had still been this glimmer of hope. Hope that God had not forgotten them. Hope that a Savior would come. Hope that redemption would be given. Hope in God. And here, in a very tangible, real, audible way, Zechariah experiences the hope of broken silence. God has not forgotten, and God is at work. See, God is going to answer both a personal and a national prayer. Personally, he's providing a son to Zechariah and Elizabeth, something they've prayed for for years. And nationally, by saying that a forerunner to the Savior has come, the voice in the wilderness who will prepare the way for the Lord. He will come in the spirit and power of Elijah, preparing a people for the Lord. See, by acting on behalf of Zechariah and Elizabeth, God is acting on behalf of Israel and on behalf of the world. Zechariah knew that the angel was saying that his son, John, would be a part of the fulfillment of what was written in Malachi and so many other texts, so many hundreds of years before the voice in the wilderness announcing the coming of the Lord would come from the womb of his wife. See, joy comes not just from the birth of John. Joy comes from the ministry of John. And what that means, not just for Zechariah, not just for Elizabeth, not just for the people of Israel, but for people from every tribe, every language, and every nation for you and for me. See, this is the beginning of the dawn of a new day. The kingdom of God is at hand. Right now, what we're seeing here in the beginning of Luke chapter 1 is the the pre-dawn glow. Just before the sun peaks over the horizon, there's a, a leaking of light that radiates from beyond. It begins to push back the shadows, faintly revealing colors and shapes and forms. Light is coming into the darkness. And when light comes into the darkness, the darkness cannot push back the light. It's an unstoppable invasion when light comes into darkness. This is the hope of broken silence that Zechariah got to hear from the mouth of God's messenger. And it's good news, not only for him and his family, not only for the people of Israel, but people for all times. It's both personal and cosmic as God is going to bring about redemption of all things. And as we have seen and said over and over and over again throughout our series in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, God is faithful to his plans and his people. And here we see that once again. The message of hope has come. The silence has been broken. But man, if we're honest, sometimes in the midst of life right now, we see everything that's going on around us locally, nationally, globally, We see everything, we turn on the news, we read blogs, we read the newspaper, we look around and all we think we see is a lot of darkness, not a whole lot of light. And we can think, well, is there really hope in broken silence? Because right now, sometimes it seems as if God is silent. But listen, God is not silent. God has given us his word and his word is full of good news. His word tells us light has broken into darkness That Jesus, his son, has defeated Satan, sin, and death. His word tells us that he is saving people from every tribe, every language, and every nation. His word tells us that he has overcome the world in all of its trials and all of its tribulations. Everything we see going on right now, all the brokenness that we see in the systems of our world, Jesus overcomes all those trials and tribulations. He's our peace. He's preparing a place for us. He will never leave us or forsake us. He will never lose us. He will come again for us and he will make all things new. See, you and I don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder. We can truly hope because the one true God said he would do it and he will. So listen to me, no matter what's going on, the good, the bad, and the hard to understand, no matter what's going on, we can rest in the hope of broken silence. We can say along with the psalmist in Psalm 119, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your word. When you're struggling, you can say along with the psalmist in Psalm 42, why are you cast down? O my soul. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. When we are trying to wait, when we're trying to be patient, we know that God's going to bring the restoration of all things. We know that he's going to make all things new. But while we're waiting, while we're striving to be patient, we can say with the psalmist in Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope, the hope of broken silence. And every day, every single day, tomorrow, as the sun comes up once again and a new day dawns, we can have hope. Because of the truths of Lamentations 3. It says this, but this I call to mind. We have to remind ourselves of this. This I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Here's the truth. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new and Every morning, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. See, we can remember that the angel came to Zechariah and announced the dawning of a new day, the coming of our savior king. And here's the good news for us, sojourn. He has come and he will come again. See, we need to be constantly and continually reminded of this. You need to be reminded of it. I need to be reminded of it. That God is faithful to his plans and faithful to his people. But here's the flip side of the, of the hope of broken silence. If you don't have God, you don't have hope. Ephesians 2 tells us that. If you don't have God, you don't have hope. And the only way for us to have God is to know Christ. Jesus, Jesus himself said that he is the way and the truth and the life. And that no one can come to the Father except through him. That's not narrow-minded. That's not arrogant. That's life to you. That's life to you. The hope we have in Christ is not that Jesus came into the world to be a nice person and to teach us some nice things. The hope that we have in Christ is that Jesus came in the world to save us from our sin by dying in our place. Apart from him, there is no hope. And coming to him that we might have the hope that we find when we know God coming to him means turning away from our sin, turning away from our rebellion and turning to him in faith, believing that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross for your sin and that God raised him from the dead. That's what it looks like to place your faith in Jesus. And the good news is is that when we truly repent, turn away from turning away from sin and we truly believe placing our faith in Christ alone we are no longer strangers without hope, but we are now called chi- a child who's a part of a family. Ephesians 2.13 becomes true for us, which says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the hope of broken silence, that God's word says that to you. So if you don't know Jesus, would you come to Jesus today so that the hope of broken silence could actually be hope for you, so how does Zechariah respond to this amazing, unfathomable, personable, personal, and cosmic truth? How does he respond? I mean, he, he knows all these things that, that the angel is saying. He knows that this is the fulfillment of what God said some four hundred years ago. How does he respond to this? Look at verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, "How shall I know this? For I'm an old man." And my wife is advanced in years. Zechariah misses the point completely. He misses the point completely. He's not floored in the way that you'd think that he would be floored. And we can look at him and think, Zechariah, what are you doing? I mean, you you missed the whole point of this. And this leads to our second point. We have the hope of broken silence. We also have the faith of broken silence. See, all he focuses on is the the practical. How how can I know this? How, How is this even possible? This can't be possible. I mean, this is crazy. There's an angel talking to him. At this point, what's possible? I mean, all bets are off for that. I mean, isn't anything possible when an angel is speaking to you? But Zechariah misses it. And we can look down at him. And we can shake our heads. He's silly, Zechariah. Don't you see the angel that's speaking to you? How can you not have faith in this? You've heard the word of the Lord. Man, this is so like me, though. Maybe it's like you, too. I can be so quick to focus on the practical. How is this possible? I don't think this can really work out. You know, sometimes I call myself a realist. Say, I am not want be, I'm not overly optimistic. I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist. I'm trying to think about things realistically. And I think sometimes that might be helpful, but I think sometimes being a realist really means that I'm faithless. It really means I'm faithless. One of the places I struggle with this the most is in personal finances. I like finances. I like planning. I like being prepared. I believe that God has called us to be good stewards of what he's given to us. Our money, our things, relationships, everything that he's given to us, we're called to be good stewards of those things. But for me personally, the thing that I find myself getting most anxious about most consistently is over finances. But there's something deeper going on here. See, at its core, for Zechariah, for anyone else, including myself, who struggles with this, is the issue of control. I want to know. I want to be able to clearly affect the outcome. I want guarantees that I can back up. That's what's going on with Zechariah? He's thinking logically in his head. I, I can't do this. I can't make this come about. My wife can't make this come about. So it must not be possible. Then I can do the same thing in my own life. But the problem with this for me, the problem with Zechariah and all this is that there's no mentioning of God in this. It's just I, I, I. But listen, God is not asking Zechariah. God is not asking me and God is not asking you to have blind faith. He's not asking you to have faith in faith. God is asking you and he's asking me to have faith in him. Have faith in him. Because he is faithful always forever. Because he has spoken and his word is always trustworthy and true. Listen, even if we can't figure out the how. Even if we can't figure out the when, even if we can't figure out the why, God is faithful and he's asking us to have faith in him. And man, I need to remember that today. I need to heed those words today. For me personally, I need to remember and have faith in the words of my savior who says to me this morning, to me, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear for the Gentiles, those that don't believe, the non-believers, they seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I need to seek first the kingdom of my God and his righteousness, not the building of my own kingdom. Where I'm in charge, where I'm in control, where I try to figure all this out. And I can do that because of the faith of broken silence. Because God's word has come to me and I can place my faith in that being true because he is faithful. And I love the angel's response to Zachariah's lack of faith. Look at verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I am Gabriel, the angel says. And Zachariah in an instant would know that name. Because in the book of Daniel, Gabriel comes to Daniel And Gabriel speaks to Daniel and says that he's heard all that's going on and that God is going to bring about redemption and the restoration of his people. Zechariah knows this is not just some angel. He's not just some angel. He stands in the very presence of God, beholding all of God's glory. And Gabriel didn't come to Zechariah out of his own uh, volition. He didn't come up with this idea and say, Hey, I've got an idea about how we can break this silence. I I know I'll go. No, Gabriel was sent by God. Sent by God to Zechariah to speak this good news to him, this wonderfully personal and cosmic good news. So you want a sign, Zechariah? Okay, here's the sign that you requested. Verse twenty. The An angel says to him, And behold, you will be silent, and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The silence has been broken, Zechariah, but now you will be silent. You will be silent. Unable to speak of what you've heard. Unable to talk. Just time to think. Just time to ponder the amazing news that you've been told today. Man, maybe some of us need to be silent. Slow to speak. Quick to listen to what God is saying to us. That we would have faith in the broken silence of God's word. He says to Zechariah, you will be silent until the cry of your child is heard and his name has been given so that you may know that the voice in the wilderness, the forerunner of the King is exactly who I said he would be. And with that Zechariah struck mute. I think he was probably convinced at that point. Luke takes us out of the temple to look at the people who are outside praying In verse 21, it says, and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. It shouldn't have taken this long. Just thinking, man, what's going on? Is everything okay? And then Zechariah emerges. Verse 22, and when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. I love this. I mean, they're they're, they're wondering where he is and he comes out. I don't know what the look on his face was. If the blood had drained out of his face, but they knew immediately that he'd seen a vision. This was not just an ordinary day of burning incense. Zechariah had encountered something. So I'm assuming they're probably asking him, dude, what happened? What happened? And you can imagine, he can't say anything. I mean, this is like a grand game of charades. Whatever he's like flapping his wing, you know, his arms like... You know, trying to mimic or or pantomime what was going on, what he's seen. How can he explain with no words what's taken place, what this angel has said to him? He can't do it. Again, reminding him at that very moment, man, God is going to do something crazy. And I can't even tell these people about it. And then we get to verses 23 through 25. And when this time of service was ended, he went to his home After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Somehow he stays on for the rest of the week and continues doing this. I don't know if he's in shock. He doesn't really know. He's just kind of going through the motions, trying to figure out what's going on, still having his other priest friends asking him and still unable to speak to them. But at the end of the week, he goes home and he enjoys reconnecting with his wife and she gets pregnant, just like Gabriel said. And it's hard to know if Zechariah was able to communicate at some point to his wife. Maybe he wrote down what took place, but it's likely that she knew what happened. And we see that Zechariah, while he didn't have faith, that Elizabeth did have faith, knowing this is God's doing. God said he would do this and he has. He's been kind to me. A baby named John is coming the faith of broken silence. She had faith in God's word spoken to her husband. See, a word from the Lord has come after hundreds of years of silence, but Zechariah is having a hard time believing it's true. But check this out. The very thing he prayed for, he doubted God could do. But aren't you and I the same? The very thing we pray for over and over and over again, on the backside of that, we're Doubting that God can actually do it. For Zechariah, it isn't flat out unbelief, but he's leaning towards unbelief. And I think the same can be true for you and for me as well. That we lean towards unbelief if we don't have outright unbelief. Sometimes it just seems too crazy, too difficult, or maybe too good to be true. But as the angel made abundantly clear to Zechariah, this is a call to us this morning to believe that God's word and God's plan will come to pass in the way that God, the sovereign of all, sees fit to bring it about. That's the faith of broken silence. It's not putting on a fake smile. It's not grinning and bearing it because honestly, sometimes life can be a struggle. It can be difficult. This isn't that we have to go around pretending to be happy, pretending that everything's okay. But in the midst of the difficulties, even when we look around and we think maybe it's always winter, but never Christmas. In the midst of that, the faith of broken silence is a call to have faith in God's future grace. That God is going to continue to extend grace to us, that he's going to be faithful to his plans, that the God who sent an angel to an insignificant priest going about his daily duty to announce the beginning of the end, that the Savior was coming, is the same God who will complete his work in you, his good work in you. It's the same God who will bring you all the way home. Is the same God who will bring justice and peace where there's injustice and chaos. Is the same God who will make all things new. See, Sojourn, today we need to remember the words of Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. See, for most of Zechariah's life, the people of God had to live life by faith more than by sight. The same is true for us now as we wait the second advent of Christ, our king, as we wait for the return of Christ. But God is not silent now. He has given us his word and we can rest in this truth. We can live out the faith of broken silence, which leads to our last point. We have the hope of broken silence, the faith of broken silence and the action of broken silence. So what are we to do now? Zechariah was struck silent, but what about us? As we look back and look forward, we don't go on as if nothing has happened or will happen Now is not a time of distraction. It's a time of eager anticipation and expectation. Now is the pre-dawn of the return of the king. And as one pastor puts it, the thing we do when we know that Jesus is returning is we get ready for his return. There are many parables where Jesus illustrates this exact point. Get ready. Don't be distracted. Look with longing for my return. But listen, getting ready for Jesus' return does not mean that you go and quit your job and sit on your front porch and look to the sky. Getting ready for Jesus' return, action of broken silence, means that we are a people of worship and a people of mission. Because God's word has been spoken. And if you've accepted God's word by faith, it has changed your heart and it now changes your life. We used to be a people who worshipped ourselves and the things of this world. But through the broken silence of God's word, we can now worship God fully. We can now worship him faithfully in all that we do. We can live out the truth of Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 verses 9 through 15 tell us to do this. This is the action of broken silence. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor do not be slothful in zeal but fervent in spirit spirit serve the lord rejoice in hope be patient in tribulation be constant in prayer Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And that's the action of broken silence. Because we've experienced the mercy and grace of God, we can now live these things out God who made us alive in and through Christ alone. And as we do that, we can look around us and see all of the brokenness for all that's going on in the world. Whether at home or abroad, racial issues and tensions, socioeconomic disparity, disease, war, human trafficking, slavery, Seeing people all around us, maybe all the time, but particularly in the month of December, seeing people seeking after comforts and pleasures, putting their hope in anything and everything but God. But listen, the action of broken silence is that we do not remain silent like Zechariah, but bring the message of hope to those who have not heard it and those who have not believed it. God has not made us silent. He's given us mouths to open and speak out of the overflow of our heart as we have hope, as we have faith. Now we can live that out in our life. The message of hope that Gabriel gave to Zechariah and subsequently to us is that light will break into the darkness. The Messiah and Savior will come. Everything sad will come untrue. God will be faithful to his plans and his people. He has come and he will come again. So sojourn, let's embrace the hope, faith, and action of broken silence today. It is amazingly good and amazingly true. Light has come into the darkness. Amen. When we come to the table, we come to partake in a meal of hope. It's a reminder that God is not dead. That God is not silent. And that God is not distant. He has come to us. To rescue us, to save us, to make us his own. And he did it at the cost of his son, Jesus, who gave his body and shed his blood that you and I might be forgiven and set free from sin and darkness and death. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've truly repented and you've truly believed the gospel, then when you come forward today to eat the bread and drink the cup, may Romans fifteen thirteen be true for you today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And for those of you that are not followers of Jesus, who have not yet repented and believed in Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning to take the bread and take the cup because this is a meal of hope for us. It's a declaration that we're staking everything on Jesus that we have no hope apart from him. And so if that's not true for you today, we would just want to ask you to to stay in your seat and pray. Ask God to save you today. We want you to take Jesus today instead of taking the bread and the cup so that you might experience the hope of broken silence, might have the faith of broken silence, might be able to live out the action of broken silence in your life. And so if you have questions about what it means to know and follow Christ, would you come, please talk to me afterwards or any of our other leaders. That's why this church is here. We want to be a beacon of light in a dark world, proclaiming the good news of Christ our King. And so if you want to follow Jesus, we'd love to help you do that and talk to you more about that. Those of you that will come forward, you can come forward when you're ready to receive the bread and the cup and tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that that every year we can take time to hopefully pause from whatever it is that's going on in our life. Just to reflect, to think, to celebrate the fact that light has come into darkness. That there is no longer any silence, but your word has come to us. And so Lord, we celebrate that today. And we look forward to celebrating that all throughout this next month, over these next few weeks. And Father, I pray that you would radically change our hearts and lives. Whether we've heard these things hundreds of times, or maybe we're hearing it for the first time this morning. I pray that it would hit us freshly in the heart and the mind and bring about transformation. Calling people out of darkness into light, out of death into life. And those of us that maybe have been straying or struggling, I pray that you'd call us back to the hope and the faith and the action of broken silence that comes through your word to us. Lord, we praise your name today. That it's not about what we do. It's not about figuring things out. It's about coming to you empty-handed. Just having need and knowing that you provide it through Christ, your son, who died for us, who rose again for us, that we might have life now and forever. And so today, Lord, we rest in that. We celebrate that. You are good and you are faithful and you are true. and We praise your name. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.